the show today. Apple announces a controversial new feature. The Senate's infrastructure bill contains a provision that could track your location. Zoom agrees to a settlement over its encryption claims. Our scam of the day targets your e-reader. And today's tip gives you six benefits that can come from using a VPN. All of that and more is coming up on the August 9th, 2021 edition of Cybersecurity Made Personal. Helping you stay safe in a connected world. This is Cybersecurity Made Personal. Hello and welcome to the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast, the safest podcast on the internet. I'm your host, Jim Herman. I have four stories on the news beat for you today. We begin with news from Apple, where the Cupertino company announced a controversial new feature that will monitor pictures on phones for signs of child pornography. According to the information released, Apple will scan photos as part of the process of uploading them to iCloud. If sexual abuse of a child is detected, Apple will manually review them and then report the pictures to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Apple tried to make it clear that it would only affect photos uploaded to iCloud, so if you didn't want your photos scanned, you could choose not to sync them. Now, I don't think anyone listening to this show is going to object to fighting the exploitation of children but I certainly join in the concerns expressed about this plan. Critics have called it a slippery slope, mass surveillance, and Orwellian. This plan represents a complete turnaround from stances Apple has taken in the past. Apple has traditionally defended the privacy of its users, even when that stance forced the company to take unpopular positions. The company fought against a court order to decrypt the contents of the San Bernardino terrorist's iPhone. Unfortunately, that court battle was never decided, since the FBI said it found another way to gain access to the phone without requiring Apple's help. In my opinion, this is a step in the wrong direction. Open it up for this limited purpose, and it could be expanded further in the future, either by decision of Apple or by a court order. Plus, what happens if the AI system flags a photo incorrectly? Apple employees could end up reviewing someone's private photos that were inadvertently flagged. As much as Apple would love to claim that their system will reduce the number of incorrect flags, it is going to happen at some point. And finally, do we really expect that someone engaging in this type of photography is going to be uploading the pictures to the cloud to begin with. And with knowledge of this practice, all someone has to do is turn off iCloud syncing or replace their iPhone with an Android in order to get away from it. I'm sure there will be a few people who mess up their settings and accidentally allow one of these photos to be scanned, 
But it seems like the number of people that will be caught will be very few, and certainly not enough to justify the invasion of privacy. Meanwhile, in Washington, the Senate's bipartisan infrastructure bill will create a trial program to evaluate the feasibility of tracking drivers in order to create a per-mile toll for the Highway Trust Fund. The trial program would be conducted using volunteers, and it would collect information about a driver's travel habits from smartphone apps, an onboard device, gas stations, and other sources. However, this program has been met with criticism. Senator Ron Wyden, possibly the Senate's strongest defender of privacy rights, has stated that he opposes any program that would lead to tracking of users' location. However, he did add he would be open to other methods of imposing a per-mile fee, such as occasional odometer readings. And as we go from the legislature to the courts, the teleconferencing app Zoom has agreed to pay an $85 million fine to settle claims that it lied about its encryption. Zoom advertised that its communications used end-to-end encryption, which typically means it is encrypted at one end of the communication chain and cannot be decrypted until it reaches the other end. In the case of a Zoom call, that would indicate that your video would be encrypted on your device and could only be decrypted by the devices of the other people on the call. Zoom repeatedly used the end-to-end encryption claim in its marketing materials. However, it was later revealed that Zoom's definition of end-to-end encryption meant the video was encrypted on your device and then decrypted on their servers. It would then be encrypted again before it would be sent to the other participants on the call. The only people who actually had end-to-end encryption were those who used Zoom software hosted on their own servers. Under the proposed settlement, those with paid Zoom accounts would be eligible to claim $25 or 15% of the fees paid to Zoom during the period covered by the suit. Users of Zoom's free product would be eligible to submit a claim for $15. However, like any class action lawsuit, the amount is subject to change depending on the number of claims submitted. And finally, Chipotle's email marketing account was compromised this past week and then used to send out malicious emails to their subscribers. Most of the emails led to a phishing site, but some contained attachments with malware instead. Since the emails came from a legitimate email service, the attackers knew that those emails would be much more likely to hit inboxes and garner a larger response. Unfortunately, it seems that not even providers of tasty large burritos are off-limits when it comes to cyber attacks. And now we move on to the scam of the day. Today's scam is one that was just revealed that's targeting your Kindle. At its core, a Kindle is just a basic tablet that's been locked down to only run one specific app. However, security researchers identified an attack that can be executed to access your Kindle device and steal data. It all starts with a malicious ebook file. It could be listed for sale on Amazon's site, 
or it could be sent to you through the Send a Kindle service. Once the book is opened, the malicious code would execute on your device. It would lock up your screen and give itself complete control of the device, accessing your Amazon account credentials and possibly even your credit card details. Fortunately, this particular exploit was patched recently, so make sure to update your Kindle if you see it has updates available. However, this is also a reminder that there could be other exploits in Kindles or other e-readers that haven't been discovered. So be careful when you open a book in your library. Make sure it's a familiar one and one that you've actually purchased. If you find a scam you think we'd like to talk about on the show, you can send it to us at scam at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com. And now we move on to our cybersecurity pop quiz. Each week, we ask you a question in the field of online security or privacy, and it's your job to figure out the right answer. Today's question is a multiple answer question, which means any combination of these answers could be correct. The question is, which of the following are an indication that a website has bad security practices? A. Using AES-256 encryption B. A badge on their website claiming the security is certified safe C. Asking you to enter your password on a site that begins with HTTP colon D. Setting a maximum password size of 15 characters Or E. Emailing your password when you say you forgot it the correct answers will be revealed in next week's episode. But if you want to know them right away, you can go to cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash popquiz to submit your guess and find out if you're right. Plus, if you submit your guess on the website, regardless of whether you're right or wrong, you'll be entered to win a $25 Amazon gift card when we conclude Season 3 in August. But your guests must be submitted before the next episode airs on Monday, August 16th. For official giveaway rules, visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash quiz rules. Last week's question was, Under U.S. federal law, at what age can a child consent to a privacy policy without the need for parent or guardian approval? A. 12. B-13, C-15, D-18, or E-21? The correct answer is B. Under federal law, children 13 and over are able to agree to a privacy policy for themselves. Those 12 and under require parental approval. This is the reason why many websites will not even allow someone under 13 to set up an account. For example, if you enter a birth date that says you are 12 years old when you try to sign up for Facebook, the site won't allow you to create an account. Now, if you're 12 years old, that doesn't stop you from claiming you were born a year earlier so you can appear to be 13. But the site can only claim it collected data from you because you lied about your age. And just in case you're curious, 
the official age for the European Union is 16. However, member countries do have permission by law to lower the age as low as 13 if they choose. A virtual private network, or VPN, is much more than just a tool used by companies to allow their employees to work from home. Using one personally can bring a number of benefits for your privacy and security. We'll discuss six of those benefits when we come back from this short break. Hi, it's Jim. If you're enjoying the show, we'd love it if you could follow us in your favorite podcast player. That will ensure you never miss an episode. And while you're there, we'd also appreciate it if you could rate the show and give us a review. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are. And finally, the best review that someone can give us is to tell their friends about the show. Invite them to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or send them to our website, cybersecuritymadepersonal.com, where they can find links to the show in all the major podcast players. Thanks for your support, and now, back to the show. If you've been a regular listener of this show, You've likely heard me mention VPNs, or virtual private networks, multiple times. A VPN creates a secure tunnel for your data. Your computer encrypts everything it wants to send on the internet, but instead of sending it to its destination, it forwards it to a VPN server. That server then decrypts the request and sends it on its way. When the response from the web comes back, it's sent to the VPN server, not your computer, and the server then encrypts it and sends it back through the tunnel to you. You might be familiar with VPNs if you work from home or you travel regularly for work. Many companies set up their own VPN service to provide access to internal company resources when you're not on the company network. However, that may have given you the impression that a VPN was just for work, and nothing could be further from the truth. VPNs can provide many security and privacy benefits for you individually. And even if you don't want to use one all the time, there are certain situations where they should absolutely be used. Here are six reasons why you should consider using a VPN. First, you should consider using it for the security benefits. I've mentioned in the past that a VPN is highly recommended if you're going to use public Wi-Fi. Security is the reason why I recommend this. If you're on an unsecured public Wi-Fi network, all the data that your computer sends on the internet could be picked up by other computers. Yes, most websites do use encryption now, which will keep people from viewing the data, but for the sites that don't, anyone will be able to see exactly what you're viewing. However, the biggest benefit of a VPN is that it creates an encrypted tunnel between your computer and the VPN server. 
that ensures that everything your computer sends is encrypted, and for the sites where your browser is already using encryption, it adds a second layer of encryption on top of what the browser provides. Second, you should use a VPN for the privacy benefits. Did you know that your internet provider can track all of your activity and even sell it to advertisers? In some cases, your ISP can see the actual contents of the site you visit. But even if the site is set up so that it can't see everything you do, it still has plenty of ways to track you. For example, every time you attempt to access a web page, your computer has to send a request to translate the domain you requested, such as cybersecuritymadepersonal.com, into an IP address, which is four numbers separated by periods. A computer can't actually visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com. It has to go to a domain name service, or DNS, which manages a list of domain names and their associated IP addresses. So when you try to visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com, your computer goes out to a domain name service and learns that the IP address is 185.151.30.163. I don't know about you, but I think cybersecuritymadepersonal.com is much easier to remember. Now, if you haven't specified a DNS server for your computer, the request is probably going to be sent to your ISP's DNS server. That means your ISP can log every site that you're visiting. You could get around this by changing the DNS server on all of your devices and pointing them to a different one. However, with a VPN, the only traffic your internet provider will see is communication to the VPN server that you're using. A VPN also prohibits websites, apps, and data brokers from tying activity back to your identity. When you use a VPN, requests that websites receive won't appear as if they're coming from your own IP address. They'll look like they're coming from your VPN provider's server. If 20 people all send data through the same VPN provider, all 20 will look like they came from the same place, which will scramble your data and protect your privacy even more. Third, a VPN helps to block location tracking. IP addresses are assigned to internet providers in blocks, which means that once someone knows your IP address, they can get a pretty good idea of your location. While location tracking is nice for websites to know where their visitors are coming from, it can also be used to send you ads solely because it knows you happen to be near a particular location. It would feel a little creepy if you get pop-up ads or even a text message advertising a deal at a restaurant or store that you just happen to be approaching. A VPN service can also be used to get around content blocking. Many American TV networks and streaming services only have the right to show content to people in America. This is pretty typical all around the world. Leave the country and you're going to lose access to that content. Additionally, some content, especially in sports, is blocked if you live within a certain distance of the stadium. This could be due to the team holding local rights to stream the content, 
or due to rules intended to make sure stadiums fill up. However, I do have two notes of caution about this. First, using a VPN to access content you typically wouldn't be able to see is not illegal in most places, but some people would consider that unethical. So make sure that you've considered the ethical implications of what you're doing. And second, make sure to check before you pay for a VPN to do this. Many streaming services will block the IP addresses of common VPN providers in order to stop people from accessing this content outside of the appropriate zone. So if you're going to use a VPN for this purpose, make sure that you sign up for a free trial or the cheapest possible service until you know that the VPN is going to work. Fourth, a VPN can help you avoid traffic shaping. Traffic shaping is a process used by some internet providers to improve the web browsing experience. The multitude of hardware that comprises the basic structure of the internet doesn't necessarily handle traffic in the order that it comes in. Internet providers may decide to prioritize some traffic over others. For example, if you're streaming a movie on Netflix, it's important that your data gets to you on time. If the traffic is delayed too much, you'll either see a fuzzy picture or the video will stop altogether and tell you that it's buffering. A slowdown in your internet traffic would impact your experience when dealing with streaming video. However, if you're browsing the news, it's not critical that that traffic gets to you right away. If you have a delay of, say, 50 or 100 milliseconds, you're probably not going to notice that the page loaded just a little bit slower. So internet providers, wanting to keep everyone happy so they don't switch to a different service, will often prioritize streaming data like Netflix. If you are using a VPN, the actual location of your data will be scrambled, which will keep your ISP from slowing down your traffic in order to prioritize the traffic of others. Fifth, a VPN can actually pay for itself by saving you money. Sometimes companies will use dynamic pricing based on your location. If your traffic is coming from a place that is generally richer, you might be charged a higher price than if it comes from a poorer location. This is especially common on websites where the prices are more volatile, such as travel websites. If you're experiencing prices that you think are higher than what you should be paying, you may want to consider firing up a VPN and trying it from a few different locations. You might find one that's more within your price range. Sixth, a VPN can help you avoid censorship. In America and most European countries, we've been blessed to have the freedom to speak without the control of government. The free internet has been a reflection of that freedom of speech. But in many countries, internet access is heavily restricted, especially when it comes to reporting current events in the country. Only the government's official news agency is allowed, and anything contradictory to that will be automatically blocked. Now, some countries are so restricted 
that you can't even connect to a VPN. But for people who want to find the truth, a VPN or another similar service is often the way that they can access that information that's not approved by their government. So now as we draw to a close, you might be wondering, how do I connect to a VPN? And the truth is, it's usually very simple. In the past, you'd have to make a number of configuration changes in Windows in order to route your data to a VPN. But now, all that is typically needed is to download and install the VPN application, just like you'd install another program. Launch the program, sign in, hit connect, and the program will handle everything you need. And one final word of warning. Be careful when you're choosing a VPN. Some free VPNs might get you the benefits we mentioned, but they may also use their service to collect your data and sell it. And some free and paid VPN And some free and paid VPNs will still keep logs of all your data. The best VPNs will not keep logs and do not track your internet use. So that's it for today. Thanks for listening, and come back again next week, where our tip will discuss some security tips for those heading off to college. So until next time, stay safe. Thanks again for joining us for the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast. Check out the show notes page linked in the description for links to the articles mentioned, more information about today's tip, and a transcription of this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would consider visiting our welcome page at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com welcome. There, you can find more information about the show and links to some of our most popular episodes. Cybersecurity Made Personal is provided for educational purposes only. Don't take any action on your computer unless you fully understand what you are doing and the possible consequences. Visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash disclaimer for more information. Cybersecurity Made Personal is a production of Personal Cybersecurity, LLC. I'm Jim Herman. Thanks for listening and stay safe.